him your lamb it has to be personal it's not enough just to mentally assent that yes i think that jesus may have been the messiah it's got to be personal why because god is personal god is relational god is intimate god cares about you very specifically and god wants that relationship to be personal it's not to say yes my father's god that's my sister's god he needs to be yours When the children of Israel escaped enslavement in Egypt, God was giving them a new start. Freed from hundreds of years of oppression, the new path was light and unburdened. That's exactly what you experience when you throw off your old life and begin again in Jesus. As Daniel tells the story of those final days in Egypt, we'll follow God's people from darkness to light. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, The Passover. This chapter for this series, this is this, the chapter where we get the idea of Passover specifically. And in a lot of ways, the Passover is the culmination of God's deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt. In chapter 11, we found the, the declaration of the final plague, the 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborn. And now we're going to see how this death is going to be averted for those who believe. And what is interesting about chapter 12 is that you can't really understand the ministry of Jesus at all without understanding Exodus chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, said it this way. In verse 7, chapter 5, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, it says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what he's saying is, is that Jesus is our Passover, And the unleavened bread that we're going to hear about tonight, that's a picture of what it means to live a life without sin, a life of sincerity and truth. So this chapter, Exodus 12, is a historic happening, but it is also a very strongly typological or symbolic happening. Almost every detail of this chapter relates to something in the life and ministry of Jesus as we worship God. So it's a very, very powerful, very powerful chapter. So let's just jump right on in. In verse 1 of Exodus chapter 12, it says this, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of the month, Every man shall take for himself a lamb, 
according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with your sandals on your feet, and with your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now it's interesting. Up until this point, the book of Exodus has been all narrative. It's been telling the events. But now it moves from narrative to what I would call liturgy, which it moves from just telling the story. And now we're talking about how to worship. That's what happens. There's this whole story now is like, this is how we ought to worship. This is what we ought to do. Now, the instructions for the Passover, it begins with, a breaking with the past. Notice what it says in verse 2. This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So it talks about the calendar. And I think what's important about this, if you think about historically, people have broken up time into what we would say is B.C. and A.D., right? B.C. before Christ and A.D. after his death. Now, in a more secularized Western culture, if you've gone to college even more recently, they don't say B.C. or A.D. Now they say before the common error and after the common error because they don't want to remind us that we base our calendar based on Jesus. But the reason they changed the calendar was because Jesus was such a profound person in the history of humankind based on his death and resurrection that they reordered the calendar based on it. So even though they want to dial it away and call it the common era, listen, the reason they did that was because of Jesus. And no matter how much a culture tries to pretend like Jesus wasn't Jesus, he still is Jesus. And I think what's important for us with that is for the children of Israel, God wanted a break from the past. He said, listen, yeah, you've been up in Egypt until this time. Now we're going to change the calendar. This is going to be the first month for you. We're going to start all over again. And I think that's important for us because as Christians, it's so easy for us, although we believe in Jesus, to not have a clean break from the past. 
And it's important for us to remember that our Bibles teach that if any man be in Christ, what? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And what that means is that we need to remember that in Christ there is a clean break with the past. Now, don't get me wrong. Our past has consequences. But in Christ, there is a separation. You used to be this way, and now God is doing something new in your life. And so for the children of Israel, they've been enslaved for more than 400 years. And now God's saying, look, I want you to start a new month now with this deliverance, with the reality of the Passover. So this month is called commonly by its Canaanite name, which is Aviv. And it corresponds with the equivalent of our March-April in our calendar. It's a springtime. As we get later in the book of, of the Old Testament, the first month is called by its Babylonian name, which is Nisan, I-N-S-A-N. That's why there's difference. Sometimes you're like, oh, it says it's the month of Nisan, or it says it's the month of Aviv. It depends on which language they're using. So as you get later in the Old Testament, because of the influence of the Babylonian exile, sometimes they use it by its kind of Canaanite name, its, its Near Eastern name, and then sometimes they use it by its, its Babylonian name. So that's kind of where that comes from. So it's going to be a new year. This event is so specific, so definitive and decisive that now it's time to have a new calendar based on it. Now, what's also interesting about that is that if, if you study prophecy, you know, if you read Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, it would seem that the Antichrist, that coming world ruler of the future, is also going to seek to reorder the calendar. Now, I believe that in studying prophecy, I think we should have a pan-prophetic viewpoint, which means it's all going to pan out. And a lot of people have made lots of money in the West telling you how everything's going to work out. And oftentimes it doesn't work out that way. We should study prophecy because prophecy is in the Bible. One third of it is prophetic. But we also need to hold our pet interpretations with open hands. And if you, if you think I'm being too light on the Bible or too light on prophecy, just go back and read what guys were writing about 15 years ago. How many people thought that Y2K was going to be the end of everything? And it's amazing. We're 13 years after Y2K and my computer still just works perfectly. I don't know how it happened. I know some of you guys are still eating spam from back then. You're still just working through that another case of that spam, you know, because you, you stored it all up because everything was going to crash. With our understanding of biblical prophecy, and don't, the reason I say this also is don't forget, there's tons of prophecies about the coming of the Messiah and the people who studied the word the most missed it the most as well. Because with God's prophetic calendar, we see through a glass dimly. Now, I think we should study it, but we shouldn't major in it. We should major in Jesus. And we can enjoy it, we can talk about it, but let's not fight about it. Let's not disagree about it. We can say, hey, maybe it'll work out this way. Maybe so, maybe not. But this is what I do know, that Jesus came, he died, he rose again. This, this is what's truly important. But it's interesting, it would seem from Daniel 7.25 that this Antichrist, this coming world ruler, is going to seek to change times and seasons. 
That's what Daniel 7.25 says. Now, as you get into verse 3, you start getting the discussion about the Passover lamb. Look, look what it says. Speaking to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, let him take his and his neighbor next to him, take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, I want you to notice the progression. In verse 3, it's a lamb. In verse 4, it's the lamb. And in verse 5, it's your lamb. You see that? It begins very generally. You take a lamb, and then you take, it's the lamb, and then it's your lamb. And that's an important progression. Because when you think about the lamb of God, isn't that what John the Baptist called Jesus? Jesus is a lamb. God's sacrifice. But then it's the lamb. Once Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he was God's sacrifice. And then you have to make him your lamb. It has to be personal. It's not enough just to mentally assent that, yes, I think that Jesus may have been the Messiah. It's got to be personal. Why? Because God is personal. God is relational. God is intimate. God cares about you very specifically. And God wants that relationship to be personal. It's not to say, yeah, it's my father's God. That's my sister's God. He needs to be yours. We want that to be personal. Now, notice... After that, on the 10th day of the month, so the 10th day of this new first month, you take a lamb. And notice this is a lamb for a house. So the idea with taking the lamb is that this lamb needs to be for a family. And if you have a small family for others. So notice, it's not just about us personally, but it implies community. This is meant to be a community thing. You notice that I emphasize this a lot, and I emphasize it because... Community was very common in the Bible, and it's very much in short supply in America. Because we live in a staunchly individualistic culture. We live in a culture where it's like we're all self-made people. We do it our way. My great uncle Frank Sinatra, and he's honorary, of course, I did it my way. And so we're all wired to say, it's my way. But God loves community. When you think about church, Jesus just doesn't deliver deliver us from our sins. He delivers us from our sins, and he puts us into this thing called the church, part of a body. We always have to remember there's strength in numbers, and God wants us to have close, intimate relationships with other people, familial relationships, community relationships. So it's interesting that in choosing that, it's not everybody get your own lamb and have your own nice little feast. It's designed to be a feast amongst people, something that we share together. That's implied in the text itself. Now notice, it goes on in verse 4, if the household is too small for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be, notice verse 5, without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Notice, what does the lamb have to be? Without blemish. The lamb needs to be perfect. Now, the application for us, first Christologically speaking, speaking about Jesus, is that if Jesus had sinned, he would not have been a worthy sacrifice. 
right in the, the Levitical system, the Mosaic system of sacrifice, that lamb has to be without flaw, flawless. And that is why, as we saw in the book of Genesis, when God asked Abraham to offer his son Isaac, that God wouldn't accept the sacrifice, didn't want it, because Isaac was, had blemishes. He was human. And this is why Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the one person who didn't deserve death because he never did anything that was deserving of it. So God chooses here in the book of Exodus saying, look, I want a perfect lamb. I want a perfect lamb. And it's interesting, the idea of a a, a lamb of one year. At one year for a lamb, that's when they're in their strength, in their, their strongest time. And in a lot of ways, Jesus being crucified in his 30s, that's a, the strength of a man time. And I'm kind of liking that because I'm, getting, I'm in that age group. So I'm feeling good about myself with that. I'm as strong as I'll ever be right now. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> but the idea here is that the lamb has to be flawless to be acceptable. Now, what does this teach us by way of application? It teaches us that we need to give God our best. The firstborn, without blemish. Brothers and sisters, it's so easy to give our best to other things and give the leftovers to God. Right? That's why when we speak of the tithe, it speaks of the first fruits. Which means you don't say, hey, I'm going to pay off, I'm going to pay off everybody. I'm going to pay off my car payment, my insurance, my gym membership. I'm going to pay off this. Oh yeah, and I got this subscription and that subscription. If I got anything left, then the Lord's going to get it. That's like you're treating God like your dog. Like we're all going to eat and whatever's left, we give it to the dog. You guys have dogs like that? Yeah, we had to put our dog on a diet at home. The vet was like, man, you got to put that dog on a diet. Because we're giving the dog lots of leftovers. And I started thinking about, you know, because it's like, you know, especially I got small kids. And so trying to get small kids to eat their whole plate is almost impossible. Even if you, even if you just drench it in hot fudge, I still don't eat it all. Right? And so, so you give the leftovers to the dog. And I remember thinking about this. I'm like, you know, we do that with God sometimes. We pay off everybody else. Right? We pay off our credit card, this thing, that thing. And if I have anything left over, I'll give it to God. Oh, God deserves our best. He deserves our best. Why? Because he's God. He's the most important. He's the most important. God deserves our best, not our least, not our worst. Because you can imagine, if there wasn't a stipulation, they'd be like, oh, okay, which is the most ugly lamb in here? Right? Let's give God the lame lamb. The lamb that I don't even want to eat because it's all scrawny looking. It doesn't look yummy at all. Let's not give him the best lamb. Because isn't that human nature? Isn't that what we do? Someone's like, hey, I need, I need help. He's like, okay, when's the most convenient time for myself? So we need to give God our best. That's what this is about. Don't give God the worst of your flocks. Give him the best of your flock without blemish, without any issue. Now, of course, this all points perfectly to Jesus. There's so many verses about this. Now, what's interesting about this, I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to explain this to you, because look at what happens here. In verse 6, it says this, Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Now notice, you choose the lamb on the 10th, but on the 14th is when the lamb gets slaughtered. What's that 
10 to the 14th. What's that four-day period about? It's about inspecting the lamb, making sure that it's a worthy sacrifice. Now, why do I bring that up? Because if you read Matthew's gospel, keeping this in mind, you will find that from the triumphal entry in Matthew 21, there are how many days of inspection by all these different groups? Four days. And Jesus is crucified on that Friday. Matthew's gospel lays out from the triumphal entry until the crucifixion exactly based on the Exodus account. Because if you'll notice in Matthew 21's the triumphal entry, his authority is questioned by the chief priests. Matthew 21, verses 23 to 27. Then he's questioned by the Pharisees about taxes to Caesar. Matthew 22. He's questioned by the Sadducees about the resurrection. Also Matthew 22. He's questioned by the scribes about the greatest commandment. Matthew 22. And then Jesus questions them about David calling his descendant Lord, also in Matthew 22. And you hear this phrase over and over again. I'm quoting Matthew 22, 46. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. Each time they found nothing at fault in Jesus. Matthew's gospel is laid out in that last week, the passion week of Jesus's life is laid out based on Exodus. Because you chose the lamb on the 10th. When the lamb was found to be flawless, the lamb was slaughtered on the 14th. When Jesus was triumphantly entered, they chose him and then they inspected him and he was found to be a fitting sacrifice. Now, I didn't write this stuff. I'm just telling you, this is what's in there. This is what's in there. Now, So you choose the lamb, you inspect the lamb, and then ultimately, who kills the lamb? Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Even though each house or neighbors chose a lamb together, when it's described, the whole nation kills the lamb. Why is this important? Who killed Jesus? All of us did. All of us did. People always say, oh, you know, for a long time, they persecuted the Jewish people. You guys killed Jesus. You know, for some reason, the Italians get off scot-free in that. That's a whole other discussion. We all killed Jesus. It was your sin and my sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross. It's because of us, all people, all mankind. Now, verse 7, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Now, notice that. The blood needs to be affixed to the doorposts and the lintel. Now, think about this. Imagine you hear this, right? You say, okay, I need to take the blood from this lamb. I need to put on the doorposts and on the lintel, which is the top bar. God wanted a break from the past and His people started over when it was time to leave Egypt. When we come to Jesus, our old life is left behind and we begin anew. There is a clean break from the past, just like when the children of Israel broke free from slavery. 
God is doing some amazing things with Jesus is Real Radio. It's our vision to see Jesus is Real Radio on more radio stations worldwide and to help change lives across the globe. You can help see this vision come to life by sending a gift of any amount to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Again, to send a gift of any amount to Jesus is Real Radio, simply send your gift to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share how our faith needs to be active. In the event of Passover, God gave the children of Israel something to do. We'll hear how we have to be ready as believers to do something. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled The Passover. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.